CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hour number two is just moments away, but before we do this, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like, boy, these gloves, turns out you can't really scroll on a computer with these gloves. Okay, unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors, as well as the International Unions of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for sponsoring this show. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky's show. What's so funny? Those little love when you go gloves. Do it again. Come on. Well, I mean, time. after all this is over, maybe I'll just wear gloves every show. We'll have fun. You know what I mean? Oh, that was a real good one. That was good. You get better at it. The Chicago Federation of Labor sponsors as well. Hour number two. Let's go. It is Wednesday, March 25th, and live from Ben's house, this <laughs> is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Very nice attic he has. I wish you could all see it. In this hour of the program, one guest and one guest only, our good friend, EPA scientist and political analyst, Lorraine Targos. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. In the attic we are. No train going by. It's really peaceful right now. Uh, just listening to Lori Lightfoot's uh, comments and thoughts. And uh, Dennis is the one who introduced this concept to me, and he's absolutely correct. It was a couple weeks ago. You know, just the inconsistent messaging that's going out at this time. Had Lori Lightfoot uh, talking about the need to bring in uh, doctors to deal with the critical shortage of doctors. If you're retired, doctors coming in, uh, setting aside hotel rooms. We're going to have Lorraine Targo. She has a lot of ideas on this front. EPA scientist Lorraine Targos, a political activist uh, Lorraine Targos. She has a lot of thoughts on this. And and at the same time, you have Donald Trump saying we should be going to church having visions of packed churches in three weeks. Uh, I, we talked about this last week where the governor Pritzker and uh, Lori Lightford were f just uh, getting aboard on the, um, the notion that we need social distancing, that we have to stay at home, that we can't go to work, et cetera, and so forth. And then they were saying, go vote, hurry up and vote. <laughs> The contradictory messages are just getting sent out all the time. And now there's the notion that uh, 
were you saying the D? I missed the beginning where she was saying there's too many people going to the parks. Is well, the big takeaway here, uh, everybody's saying that uh, Lightfoot was talking about it. Um, there's a lot of people like on the lakefront, like, you know, everybody's like, go take a walk, do your thing. But when there's so many people taking a walk at the same time, now you have a social distancing issue, right? So I think they uh, may be putting the hammer down a little more here on the uh, going outside and taking a walk kind of. Well, it's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful, you're stuck inside and you want to go get that fresh air and you want to go for a walk and they say, go for walks that's good for here's more inconsistencies go for a walk now they're saying don't go for a walk well it's just the city of chicago and you know (laughs) but you know they're trying you know what i mean though it's tough it's better than just doing absolutely nothing which by the way if bruce rauner was still governor that'd probably be what's going on horse pucky well no i i Again, I said this yesterday. Yeah, I'm so relieved that Bruce Reiner was not no longer our governor. Uh, and part of the problem is that he would be afraid to criticize Trump. He would be afraid to offer an alternative uh, to Trump. And we were talking about this with Monroe. And he's absolutely correct. It's like the skillful nimbleness with which some politicians uh, give and take when it comes to dealing with Trump. Uh, so, for instance, Cuomo today talked about, you know, I'm going to speak up when I feel the need to. I'm going to use sharp elbows. I'm not just going to be playing nice in the sandbox. But Monroe was correct. Earlier in the press conference or the press briefing, he was avoiding uh, taking shots at Trump. And then yesterday we talked about this. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, after getting into a bit of a Twitter war with Trump, backed off and said, yeah, the president was very responsive on the phone. By the way, we, I don't know. We still haven't gotten the ventilators. And uh, Cuomo was pointing out that they, they, they still haven't got the masks. So this notion, again, where you have to be so nice to Trump, you have to be so worried about his personal feelings, he's going to get mad at you, and he's going to tweet nasty things about you. So, you know, if you're really nice to him, he may give you some of the things that you need. That's inconsistent, too. Inconsistent it message. Is, it is crazy, though, because, like, right here, I'm seeing uh, ABC7 Chicago. Just in, Chicago scores an A in social distancing. Stay-at-home uh, stay order started last weekend. So we got an A in that, and now we're being told, hey, now we're, not, we're doing, like, quit <laughs> gathering. And then Trump's like, April 12th, we're going to be... No, I, it's all confusing, listen, man. It is confusing, and and uh, <laughs> as a longtime germaphobe, okay, I can just tell you this, folks: people in Chicago very bizarre walking habits. You know, oh, yeah. I've said this before; they just got a way of walking right at you. You know, uh, this is in general, anyway. Have you ever noticed this? This I think we've discussed this on the air. It's one of my favorite topics. All right, so let's say this. Forget the uh, coronavirus for the moment. You're, you're walking down the sidewalk. Try that, guys. Try Everybody listening, just try to forget, forget about the, the coronavirus for a moment. Let's just go back in the old days. You're, you're at home. You're walking. Wednesday, usually at work, but try not to think yeah, about it. Yeah, just put it aside for the moment. Just think about this in the abstract. You're walking down the sidewalk. And let's say you're walking with them. Let's say Dennis and I are walking down the sidewalk. We're talking about the bulls, okay? And then coming at us are two other people who are walking along, and they're talking about whatever. They're talking about the bulls, too. Like, we're all talking about the bulls. You know, oh, that's fantasy land. As we, <laughs> by the way, we will be talking about the Bulls with Joe Colley later today. I'm really looking forward to that. A break from coronavirus gate. Hey, put gate on that. Don't anyway, worry, it's a bonus. It's a bonus. So. Yeah, yeah. Our diehard up political. <laughs> oh no, Bulls talk. Don't worry, it's a bonus. Anyway, so you're walking down the sidewalk. You walk in, and you know that at some point someone's going to have to move because there's not enough space on the sidewalk for all four people. This is things that go through my head. So like, who's going to move? You know, who's going to move, make the first move? And the other two people coming right at you, they're chatting away. They're blah, blah, blah. So I always make a point, D. I step aside. I go, let you go. You can go. 
Usually, you know, you, if the person's older than me, I'll say wisdom before youth. If the person's younger than me, I'll say beauty before age. You know, you just get to go because you're, that's just like a common thing. You're walking. Out. I always talk about my wife's going, you know, people think I'm a little weird on this subject. Yeah, maybe I am, but. Well, you can take on this subject out of that sense. <laughs> so I just noticed that. Now, I figure, well, now in the age of the coronavirus, where we're being cautioned about walking closely to one another, that we're being advised to keep six feet apart, that people be more aware of it. Uh-uh. <laughs> they just walk in, like magnets walking right at you. you. You know, dude, you're coming right at me. I'm going right. You're coming. I would love to hear Lori Lightfoot address that issue, walking down the uh, sidewalk issue. Well, give it time. I'm sure she will. All right. Uh, we got Lorraine Targos coming up in minutes here. But first, before we do that, Ben, oh, there's the brown line. All right. I can't, uh, it's, you're right. It's going it's like too our, fast. It's like our additional co-host <laughs> with an attic here. Uh, before we get to Lorraine Targos, uh, we got to give a little shout out, Ben. That's right. Former Illinois gubernatorial candidate, Chris Kennedy. We haven't heard from him in a while. Not heard from him in a long time. First off, it's good to know he's doing okay. We haven't heard from him in a while here. And we got to hand it to old Kennedy. He's the founder of a company called Top Box Foods. It's a national nonprofit hunger relief program that provides food to communities in need. Kennedy is now leading the effort to have Top Box deliver food to Chicagoans directed to stay inside. Kennedy said, quote, we want to offer another solution. Uh, there are people sheltering in place who have medical conditions that don't allow them to go out. We're helping them double down on caution by delivering to their doors. So far, Top Box is delivering to a few hundred people uh, this week and will work up to delivering more in the coming weeks. The nonprofit works with food distributors and hasn't faced any issues of food shortages. Well, as until we talk about it on the Ben Jarofsky show, people are going to be going to Top Box like crazy. The Illinois political bulldogs over at Illinois Politico had to ask uh, Kennedy about that 2018 gubernatorial election, an election where Kennedy uh, kind of went hard in the paint on then-candidate J.B. Pritzker. Did he not, Ben? Oh, he went strong at him, yeah. What was Chris Kennedy uh, saying about Pritzker? I can't, I can't really remember. Well, God, that was a, a different universe, a different political universe, a different political reality two years ago in uh, roughly, yeah, roughly around this time, a little before, because the, the uh, primary was March of 2018. Uh, Chris Kennedy was saying that J.B. Pritzker was part of the corrupt Democratic machine, and he was uh, attacking the corrupt Democratic machine. We needed a break from it. Uh, and a very bizarre position for someone named Kennedy to take, you know, because obviously that Democratic machine was responsible for uh, uh, Kennedy getting elected president in the first place. John Kennedy getting elected in 1960, a corrupt Democratic machine, finding votes uh, in the wee hours that they needed to uh, bring Illinois into the Kennedy fold, get those electoral votes for Kennedy. Uh, I would argue that the, the greater corruption took place uh, in Texas, where the where LBJ found the votes, and Robert Caro has uh, has chronicled this in uh, his biographies of uh, Lyndon Johnson, found the votes like literally, I don't know, in a basement somewhere. But um, so it's interesting that uh, John, uh, Chris Kennedy would attack the Democratic Party uh, that helped his uncle uh, get elected president and is uh, so much part of that legacy. Uh, but um it was also kind of a desperate tack uh, for Chris Kennedy because it uh, didn't really work, obviously. It just sort of alienated him from some of the supporters he might have needed. 
And of course, uh, Democrats bought into the notion that we need a billionaire to beat a billionaire, and uh, he was unable to overcome and defeat uh, Pritzker. But I found it very unusual that somebody named Kennedy would be attacking the Democratic Party. Well, time heals all wounds. It's all water under the bridge now, because though they haven't spoke since the primary, Kennedy says that there is, quote, no animosity or bad blood between him and his former rival, now Governor J.B. Pritzker. He said, quote, I'm glad a Democrat is in charge of leading the state. The General Assembly got a lot done in that first legislative session. Yeah, well, it's um, I didn't you know, when he was making those attacks, I had a hard time believing that he that was really deep inside of him, you know, something that he believed that's a like hardcore belief that he had. It was almost as like a, uh, a tactical decision that he was going to sort of uh, distinguish himself as a reformer uh, to contrast himself with Pritzker because he wasn't going to get the support of the party. That, that was kind of my cynical take of it. Uh, but I will always appreciate Chris Kennedy for Another position he took that had nothing to do with J.B. Pritzker, and uh, God, this is ancient history, but it had to do with what's been going on in the city of Chicago for the last 30 years, and he was very forthright. He said that planning decisions by Rahm Emanuel uh, were intended uh, to drive black people out of the city of Chicago, and uh, I, we could quibble over the word intended, whether uh, that was specifically what Rahm wanted to do, but I don't think there's any argument that those planning decisions led to the massive, uh, in part, were the reason why so many black people left the city of Chicago, why there's uh, so many uh, middle, poor and working class and middle class people could no longer find Chicago affordable. So I have always will uh, appreciate him for making those comments uh, in, the, in the heat of that campaign. All right, I'm going to try my best to get some audio or at least get some quotes from uh, Lightfoot, uh, her press conference today. Let's go ahead and reach out to Lorreen Targos now. Call her up. My favorite part of this uh, broadcast <laughs> where we just call people up live. Uh, this is on Facebook. This is Facebook. Yeah, the Facebook phone. It's good times, right? Yeah. All right. It's always, Great. It, it's always interesting seeing if people, uh, you know, it's like, do they put their phone down and forget about it? Uh, Here we go. Lorene? Hello. All right. Yeah, let me get you on my headphones. All right. Oh, no you problem. sound clear. You sound very clear, Lorene. Awesome. You have your headphones on? I do. All right. Well, uh, thank you for uh, finding time for us today. I thought it would be a good idea to reach out to you on several fronts. Uh, you are a political activist. You're a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, your husband is Byron Sixer Lopez, the alderman in the 25th Ward, and you yourself are a scientist for the EPA. Uh, so you know what it's like to be a scientist working for Donald Trump. Uh, so a lot to cover, a lot to talk yeah. about. Uh, let's and uh, let's just start with being a scientist working for Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, just your experiences at the EPA. Talk about the pressures that scientists and doctors are under in the Trump administration um, to hew to a certain administrative policy. Right. So it's really, um, it's been interesting to watch, um, and, you know, speaking in my personal capacity, of course, Mm -hmm. um, it's been interesting to watch um, how, you know, people at high levels are kind of, having to accommodate to Trump's, you know, belligerency and that type of thing. And um, let me get this dog. (laughs) Hold on one second. Is that Byron? Hey! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to feed it because it's going to go crazy. Hold on one second. 
All good. Byron Byron Lopez making an appearance. (laughs) He loves coming on the show. (laughs) Holy cow. You good, Lorraine? Back in. Yep. All right. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. So the the president has clearly he has expectations for the people who are high up in his agencies. And you see that with this um you know, this doctor who's the head of the infectious uh, diseases group, um, Fauci, yeah. who has to balance the information that he's trying to spread about the most critical health pandemic of our generation and also not displeasing Trump. By And so they, whenever Trump says these things like, oh, we're going to be out by Easter, he has to sort of uh, spin it as like, oh, well, that's just the president being optimistic. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, what it really is doing is making this much more dangerous for everybody, um, everybody, because there's no telling, there's no age limit um, that is safe from this disease. Of course, it disproportionately affects people with uh, compromised immune systems and compromised uh, lung health and older age. But it's, you know, people of all ages have been dying. There was an assistant principal of a high school in New York City who died from it. She was 34 years old, no health problems that we knew of. Um, And he's saying that we're all going to be out by Easter, um, which is uh, an actual scientist is horrified at that. But um, Dr. Fauci and others sort of put on this brave face to still stay in the administration as an expert. Yeah. So it's an interesting line that they have to walk. Did, did And again, uh, Lorene is speaking only for Lorene, and she's also a member of a union that will protect. We always have to say this, talk about our, our First Amendment rights in this country. Whenever you come on the show, uh, Lorene, to you are speaking for yourself. You're not in any way speaking for the EPA, uh, and you are protected by your uh, your union on this front. Uh, uh, so, there, are there examples of that uh, for EPA workers and scientists as well, if, even before this crisis? Um, definitely, there's been cases where you know I had a colleague who previous uh, in the previous administration had been working on climate change policy to some degree. I don't know the specifics, but um, that scientist has been reassigned to do other work. Um, Climate change just isn't really part of the priorities. Climate change is not part of the priority. Do you see a a similarity to to their attitude to climate change, toward their attitude to dealing with the coronavirus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, yeah, there's no, even now, as we see, like, you know, in addition to dealing with this coronavirus, which is going to go on for weeks, months, um, who knows, we're going to be dealing with the impacts of climate change coming up. There's going to be, you know, last spring we saw a lot of flooding through the center of the United States. We're going to see that same type of flooding um, this spring as well. There's going to be more rain as predicted by climate change. There's going to be more flooding. And then what does multiple national emergencies look like on top of each other. These are the types of crises we're going to have to deal with in the United States and across the globe as climate change continues to escalate. You're going to have wildfires coming in the fall. What if there's, like the Spanish flu, like a second bump in the fall? How are we going to deal with tens of thousands of millions of people displaced because of wildfires or people displaced because of tornadoes or floods? And then you have people who, on top of that, 
have to be isolated because of coronavirus? Are we building the housing that's necessary? Are we stopping the mortgage payments? Are we preventing evictions? All of those things are not happening right now in the United States. And so how can we even begin to talk about what really taking this seriously is going to look like when everyone who's controlling the narrative on this has like these competing interests that don't appear to center the American working class. Talk about that uh, competing interests. What do you mean by that? The competing interests? Well, you know, it, it Naomi Klein's shock doctrine, like what, 10 or 11, 11 or 12 years ago, um, talked about, you know, and Rahm Emanuel was famous for saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. And we're seeing now with the bailout package that the Trump uh, White House and the Senate agreed on, there are crazy bailouts for corporations and piecemeal little crumbs left over for working class people and small businesses and homeowners and regular people. So even people who classify themselves as capitalists who might be bourgeois and like think that the government cares about them because they're middle-class, hardworking, you know, people who make 80000 a year, maybe, they're also being left behind by this bailout. And it's clearly only to serve the capitalist 1%, the people who could take your house if you miss your next mortgage payment. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there was, and it would probably... I, again, I have not read the specifics of the bill. I was talking to you about this briefly, but the Democrats mm-hmm. did win some concession uh, on the Senate bill from the White House uh, in terms of uh, protecting uh, the amount of money that goes to corporations and also uh, to limiting the amount of money that Donald Trump businesses could get. I don't know if you saw that, uh, but that uh, you know that, that Trump hotels could get from it. But we don't know the the ex- exact extent of the protections. We don't know the specifics. We're going to have to study this bill. Uh, as yeah, comes- there's a really good article. There's a really good article that came out in the American Prospect by David Dayton mm-hmm. um, called Unsanitized Bailouts, a tradition unlike any other. And in there, and I'm seeing now on Twitter um, from people who are reading over it, um, yeah, like there were some good things in there, definitely. Um, unemployment was expanded to include tips and gig workers. Um, that was something that Bernie specifically specified in his plan that got added in. Mm-hmm. But those are crumbs compared to um, what's coming out about the bailout. Um, you know, for example, the Democrats wanted more oversight of this, you know, slush fund that's being given to big businesses, mm-hmm. um, to, which is going to be given through the Fed for uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin to distribute as he likes. Um, that's going to they the Democrats got them to concede, quote unquote, and have an IG and a panel of five people oversee like this multi-trillion dollar loan program that they're going to have. Um, what that that was the exact same concession they got in 2009, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, that really did not work very well. Um, so it's, it's pretty much it, it has no protections that you would think we would get given the narrative in this country right now. Um, so when you talk about competing interests, for example, like small businesses are going to get uh, a few hundred uh, billion dollars to do loans, but that only kicks in if they keep their workers on the payroll, which of course is important. That also requires them to not interfere with union organizing. That's awesome. That's important. The big businesses, they get trillion they get trillions of dollars not billions of dollars they get trillions of dollars of loans and they do not have to keep their workers on the payroll they do not have to um make sure that people are being able to unionize 
within a neutral space. All of those things do not apply to big businesses. And they also can use this loan money to buy other businesses. So these small businesses that are struggling and barely getting by with this little loan that's from the federal government, they're going to be bought at a premium by these big businesses and can make it fire everybody. And there's no restriction on that. So that's just like one example of how we're getting screwed. And yet we're supposed to, uh, for the good of the country, get come together and uh, smile and say, this is uh, evidence of government working together by a bipartisan effort by Republicans and Democrats to work together to help everybody and preserve everybody. I have a, a hard time towing that line, uh, Lorraine. I've always had a hard time doing mm-hmm. it here in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, but particularly now in this crisis, it's a very difficult thing for me uh, to, uh, to sign, sign on to. Yeah, there's no bipartisan support of the working class. They're bipartisanly opposed to us and they will, you know, it's, it's kind of like we've been conditioned to always think the best of these people. You know, these politicians are nice if you meet them, they're congenial. Um, but the fact is they don't work for us. They don't care for us, you know, and it's going to take courage of our leaders from the working class who, you know, claim to be for us, Bernie Sanders, the squad, you know, are they going to step forward? Is Liz Warren going to step forward and call this out? I haven't heard her. Um, and, you know, are these people going to step up and is it going to take like the working class? Like you're seeing these little things of hope within the working class, like Amazon workers here in Chicago were the leaders in fighting for some sick leave through, from Amazon. Um, that was something that they weren't required to provide um, under President Trump because they're a big business. Um, McDonald's workers, they still haven't given their workers paid sick leave, um, which is insane. And, you know, the working class is, you know, there's a dominoes I've heard in California that stopped. They, they walked out because they weren't given, being given paid sick leave. Um, Philadelphia sanitation workers um, walked off the job uh, demanding more sanitary um, things like masks and gloves to be able to do their work um, to continue picking up trash in Philadelphia. So I think it's going to take courage from regular people that's going to save us from this because we're not seeing it, and the media is spinning this as like, oh, wow, we took Bernie's unemployment thing for workers, which is pennies compared to what the slush fund is going to be for these big businesses to go up and buy all the small businesses, the little restaurant that we like on the corner. They're going to buy that and turn it into profit for a very small percentage of Americans. Uh, when I hear you talk, Lorreen, and uh, I realize that voices like yours are outside of the mainstream. I mean, what you're saying makes so Mm -hmm. much sense. I agree with you. Uh, But we're outside of the mainstream. I don't get the sense uh, that the the political view that you're uh, espousing right here, the worldview that you're espousing right here Mm -hmm. is being represented uh, in the halls of Congress Mm -hmm. right now. Right. It's not. And that's the thing. Like, we need to really think about what it looks like. And I, I think I think courage is the big part of it. I think it's a matter of, you know, people like you providing a platform for these voices to get out there so that, you know, people can, you know, push through the propaganda that we have of everyone telling us, oh, this is a good bill. Oh, bipartisan. Oh, that's great. And I think that's already happening. Um, you know, some, some, 
social scientist of some kind talked about like a breaking point or something where, you know, if you look at the normal distribution of a society, you have like the early adopters and those might be, if, if you're talking about like what we're talking about, we're talking about like working class power, that type of thing. That's not a very popular thing in the mainstream narrative, but because of Bernie Sanders' campaign, because of, um, you know, organizing all over the country, um, Occupy Wall Street to now talking about inequality, I think we're reaching, it's possible that we're reaching a breaking point. And that's the only point, place I, I put my hope is that there's enough people who are reading through the lines. They understand that when it comes from CNN, it's on CNN because the corporate overlords of CNN are okay with that message. They don't believe that message is going to jeopardize their fortunes. Um, and so people are looking elsewhere for media to find the truth of what's going on. And this pandemic is sort of laying the carcass of capitalism wide open. Um, we have nurses still today on March 25th who are pleading for masks in our hospitals. How could that be in a country that claims to care about nurses of, who are the epitome of like American bootstrap perfectness? Um, how can we not be giving them N95 masks uh, in every hand if this is the greatest country in the world? And meanwhile, Congress is debating about trillions in bailouts for these big businesses who, you know, what are we going to get from that? Nothing. It's the Ponzi scheme. Oh, it's, sure. yeah. Congress is debating, giving, setting aside $500 million, $500 billion. Good God, just think about this. Mm -hmm. like, I say this all the time, Lorraine. $500 billion. We didn't have enough money for nurses in the public schools just yeah. th three and months that 500 ago. Billion, <laughs> that $500 billion is going to be leveraged in the Fed to loan out $4.25 trillion. So it's not just $500 billion. The $500 billion is there to absorb the losses. It is us socializing the losses for what they're going to be doing with this money. So as they, like, let's say I gave you like a hundred million dollar loan bill uh, to you and put it in your pocket and was like, yeah, go out, buy up all the businesses, do what you will with all that money to get our economy going again. And then one of your 500 ventures goes bad, then that's going to come out of the loss that we socialize through the Fed. You know, you don't have to take on that loss. The government's going to take on that loss. And the profit that you get, you know, it's probably going to 99% go to your pocket. Yeah. Because Steve Mnuchin, if you look, Section 2 gives all these restrictions. And Section 3 of the bill gives Steve Mnuchin, the, the, or Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, the power to um, change the restrictions as he sees fit. So if I gave you this hundred million dollar loan and said, Oh, wait, you can't use that loan to buy dividends to your shareholders. Um, he can be like, well, in Ben's case, we can because whatever justification and there's no checks and balances on that. Meanwhile, while this is going on, just to follow up, tie it all together. They're incapable of getting masks to hospitals in Chicago and New York or throughout the country. That's right. And in New York, my God, we ha they have New York state has half the cases of the country and, you know, the people ne aren't necessarily all staying home. And so it's going to be a disaster. There. And so that gets me to the political question. We'll come back to Chicago. Don't forget. We'll, I'll, I've got <laughs> some Chicago questions for you as well, Lorene. But the larger political question, I've been struggling with this because you just laid it out, Lorene. 
you, you just mm-hmm. laid it out that uh, they're moving forward to uh, spend uh, trillions, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, propping up big businesses uh, at mm-hmm. the same time that Donald Trump is telling us, oh, we're going to be back in our uh, back to normal by Easter in three weeks. Churches will be packed. I can't wait to see that site. Churches will be packed. What a bizarre notion to put out there. We're going to be, that's the scary thing. We're going to be, you know, if we look at what's happening across the world, I don't even want to say this, but it's true. We will be stacking bodies three weeks from now. And it's so scary to think about what's um, what's coming. And we're already seeing vibrant, amazing people of all ages dying um, from this disease. And, you know, it's, um, it's really, as those stakes are rising, as the most beloved people in our world are like vanishing from our families, the, the 1% still can't come together and join us as the 100% to like save society. There is still that divide that preserves inequality. Why? Why is that happening? And we cannot allow it to happen, you know? All right. So where I was going with this is I, yes. my personal, my personal belief is mm-hmm. that at this moment, the Democratic Party, which is so critical for our future, is very feeble in its mm-hmm. response. That's just my personal belief. I'm very disappointed. On some levels, I have to laugh at it when I listen to some of the things that Joe Biden says, and he is probably going to be the nominee. It's so feeble. Mm-hmm. And it's there's right. there, there's there's no leader. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like you have Pritzker here in Illinois making his pleas for Illinois. You have Cuomo in New York making his pleas for New York. But the, it's not as mm-hmm. though they're joining forces and talking about like the entire United States. So I'm asking... Right. What would you like to hear the leaders of the Democratic Party saying at this moment? I mean, if this was the world that um, the media paints for us, that Joe Biden is the leader and he will be an amazing leader um, because the Democrats are great and they're not like the Republicans, then we would see Joe Biden stepping up in front of an American flag and demanding that Trump help the working class right now he would he would show you introduce you to people who are suffering and lay out a plan for what we need and instead we have silence um and a dereliction of duty by the entire democratic party um they wanted this power now they have this power and they're not doing anything with it so you have these you know scattershot of governors trying to do their best but we don't have a leader stepping forward and challenging the narrative that Trump is putting out there. And that's why you're seeing his approval ratings skyrocket right now. But he's at 60% for his his um, his handling of the coronavirus right now. Popular opinion says 60% approve. I missed the 60% one. That must be a new poll that I didn't see. But uh, yeah. I know there's a tendency of people to, when in moments of crisis, to rally around the leader, no matter who the leader is. That's just a, center of exactly. a reflex uh, that people have. I've been feeling a little bit of that when I criticize, not so much when I criticize uh, Trump, but when I critis- dare to criticize Biden uh, for not being mm-hmm. more critical of Trump. 
Uh, the notion is that it's a mm-hmm. moment of crisis. We have to rally around the president. I find that really difficult uh, to defend when I see the president being so irrational as to say things like, uh, we'll be all back together and pack churches on April 12th mm-hmm. in three weeks. I, I find it a little hard just to say, oh, I'm going to blindly rally around a president uh, who is giving off such bad advice, giving out such bad advice uh, and such misinformation, Lorraine. So I guess I just, not with the mainstream on that one, but I didn't see the 60%. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's rising all the time. And um, I don't remember the source of that poll, but it, I saw it um, somewhere today. And what you're seeing, like, if let's see a leader step out there and give an alternative vision for this is what we should be doing. This is who we should be protecting. This is who we care about. And this is how we're going to do it and lay out the strategy. And, you know, it's, Sure, it's easy for me to say, but we're seeing Bernie Sanders do that to the best ability, the best way he can. He's holding town halls every night. He's giving people an understanding of what the solutions look like. Well, Even if we're not getting them, mm-hmm. we know the path that we need to go. Yeah. Well, by the way, I should stop saying that uh, uh, Joe Biden has wrapped up the nomination. He hasn't. Uh, some of the primaries mm-hmm. have been pushed off. The not a lot of talk about uh, the Democratic primary and the whole process. Uh, maybe we'll have some break or relief by June and it'll be back on people's mind. I know that some of the primaries have been rescheduled for June, so there'll be uh, the, the schedule, the calendar mm-hmm. is off. So uh, maybe it's just presumptuous of me to say to act as though I uh, expect more f- to expect more from Joe Biden because he's not even the nominee yet. But I'm very disappointed with the Democratic Party in general, and Joe Biden in particular. Let's let's switch it to uh, the local local level uh, here in the city of Chicago. There was an article in the newspaper I saw the other day. I mean, shaking my head. It has to do with something going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, you are in the, your, your mm-hmm. husband is the alderman of the 25th ward. And uh, that is the ward in which one of the biggest uh, TIF funded deals is going down in the city of Chicago, uh, the 78. And uh, there was an article in the paper mm-hmm. that the 78, which is a massive project that'll be at just south of Roosevelt Road. Uh, just talking about it, the good old days, Lorene, uh, issues that I used to talk about all the time, uh, is underway, that the 78 is underway. And I saw this and I'm like, I have my issues with the 78 anyway, to begin with. Uh, the It's mm-hmm. spending all that money on that project. But putting aside whether it's a good idea or not, I, I was a little caught off guard that in the middle of the coronavirus uh, scare, they're undergoing this massive redevelopment plan, don't you think there's better uses of the money, the time, the resources, and those workers? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of just like nothing nothing changes. They're trying to, you know, the money's been guaranteed. And I'm sure, you know, in a different reality, the mayor could say, we're going to cancel that and find a way to make it legal and direct all that money to a relief package. Um, but of course that's not going to happen. Um, and so, and I don't even know if that would be legal to do, but you know, if I had a law department that I could go to with all my crazy ideas, I would do that (laughs) and just be like, Hey, here's my crazy idea. Is this legal? And they would say no, or we would strategize about how that, how that that happened. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of wild. They're continuing with the project. I, I think a lot of construction projects have been continuing in the city of Chicago, but this one in particular was kind of like, I guess people thought 
that it might be held up in the same way that everything else in the status quo is being held up, but that hasn't been the case. Um, there is sort of like a community, uh, there's going to be a community panel that um, oversees this project. I don't know if you, you, there were some stories about it maybe like a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And the panel hasn't had a chance to physically convene, but I know for the 78, it will include, um, I think a majority of the people sitting on the panel are residents of the 25th, 3rd, or 4th wards. So there will be local input from people who um, had to sign a form saying they don't have a conflict of interest financially with the city or with the developer. So hopefully there can be some real accountability, even if you know the overarching picture is that we would rather have that money spent someplace else. Mm. How would yeah. you, if if you could, if you had the, if you were uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago, you had a magic wand, uh, what would you see the city doing to deal with the, the coronavirus uh, scare? I think what they're doing with, in terms of the briefings with, um, I think the public health commissioner seems to have a good understanding of what the problem is. Um, I probably, you know, would be, I, I like how they're working together with the governor's office. I know the governor's office has been really um, responsive with all sorts of things. Um, I think they're just on a mission to procure um, masks. I know one kind of little inter- inside story, there's um, all these small business owners in Chinatown who const- they have a lot of connections to the old country and they have already have shipments of masks coming to um, Chicago and they're telling Byron, the aldermen that they're going to donate a bunch to him so that we can distribute them to the local health centers and that type of thing. And so um, I'd be working to shore up those kinds of protections. It's like making sure everyone has masks and pushing at whatever level I need to, to get mortgage and rent and um, unemployment relief for every person and then working to commandeer the hotels and those types of places so that we can house people who are homeless, people who need to be quarantined because they're sick and in a, in a situation where there's not enough space to quarantine within the home that they have. And also for people who are dealing with domestic violence who need to get away. I mean, that's been a story that's kind of been on the fringes of the narratives because there's so many other crazy things going on. But for somebody who deals with um, domestic abuse or, um, you know, their abused children in the house, to be trapped with your abuser, for that person, that's the greatest crisis in their life, not the coronavirus, which may not be affecting them yet. And, it, you know, it'd be great to see a response where every hotel was deemed eligible to be commandeered and put aside to make sure that all the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. can survive this in a healthy and safe and dignified way. You know, uh, Lorene, when you mentioned Chinatown, it brought back a conversation uh, that we had, God, it seems like in another lifetime, about uh, doing more to promote business in Chinatown uh, because so many people Mm -hmm. initially, when the word came out that there was this coronavirus in China, they stopped going to Chinatown. This is even before uh, Mm -hmm. there were cases, I think, in in the city of Chicago Mm -hmm. very early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Donald Trump, for Mm -hmm. so long, called it the, uh, the Chinese virus. And uh, I guess yesterday right. he didn't call it that. So people were saying, oh, maybe he's dropping this. Who knows what, how he's, uh, he's going to deal with it tomorrow. Maybe he'll go back to it tomorrow. You never know with Donald Trump. Uh, the same Donald Trump who somehow or other is rising in the polls, even though uh, he calls it the Chinese virus. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, what do you think he's up to when he calls the virus? He, gives, he links it directly to China. 
Well, one thing he does have mastery of is the manipulation of the media cycle, right? And that's something that people really underestimate um, the power of. Um, but when you do, when you are able to harness it, you command great power. I think that's probably why he was able to become president, um, because he is such a clown show, and people follow him, um, and, and the media follows him. And then suddenly, oh my God, he became elected because we gave him all this free press. And you saw, you know, after South Carolina, all the press. I think there was like hundreds of millions of dollars of free, quote unquote, earned media for Joe Biden. And then they wonder, oh, how did Joe Biden win a state that he had no campaign in? Um, he had no staff on the ground. Well, of course, because earned media is a very valuable thing. And so that's what Trump's doing, I think, with this Chinese thing. I mean, if we can talk about how he's racist to Chinese people, then we're not talking about, you know, helping the working class. We're not talking about um, what we need to do to, you know, how we need to model after Singapore or all these countries that were able to, like, stop the virus in its tracks. Um, we're not talking about the solutions to problems. We're talking about, you know, a circus. Um, so that might be part of it, I think. Um, I saw he sent out a tweet yesterday saying Asian Americans are great. It's not their fault that this is coronavirus. And it's just it's just a it's a really harmful and painful distraction that has real world consequences for a Asian American people who are being violently attacked in some cases. And I'm sure the kids kids are being taunted. I mean, we remember after nine eleven how um, you know, George Bush told people not to attack Muslim people, but, you know, Muslim kids experienced a lot of bullying in schools after, and I, I believe that's the case right now with um, kids of Asian descent, East Asian descent. Yeah, that is, it's so bizarre. He'll uh, routinely call it uh, the Chinese virus or what have you. I, there was a picture of him have scratched out uh, his speech, his remarks. Uh, the Washington Post photographer took a photo over Trump's uh, shoulder, so you saw his the remarks. He edited it, and he took out coronavirus and wrote Chinese, and and then he sends out a tweet. It's like you know what I'm saying. Talk about mixed message. Like, oh yeah, no, yeah, I love yeah, Amer Asian really Americans. Yeah, and it's the same thing he plays with every marginalized ethnic group that he uses as a as a thing to dehumanize and toy with. It's like it's like an evil bully that's like putting a magnifying glass on an ant or something. It's like, my God, stop! Why why are you doing this? <laughs> I think he, he can't like logic with it. It's just yeah, he does know what he's doing. Yes, I do. I think he does know what he's doing, and uh, I, we make fun of him. Uh, I'm certainly at the top of the list of making fun of Donald Trump and the weird things he says, but yes, he knows what he's doing. You got elected president. He's at 55% at least in the, in the polls right now. Um, and, uh, so anyway, Lorena, we're going to let you go. I want to thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate, uh, uh, you, um, coming on the show even now at, from your house. Thank you both for having me. Thank right. you both for having me, and thank you for continuing to put the word out. Very good. Lorene Targos, an EPA scientist, a political activist. Um, I, I'm not sure she is chief of staff. No, she's not chief of staff, but uh, she's very close. Well, to we just promoted her. She's chief of staff. Well, give her a job. Uh, and, uh, yeah, hey, she. I thought she did a very good job of saying why Democrats might want to rethink, okay? Just rethink. Uh, the message they're putting out here uh, in this uh, day and age, you know, back uh, this day and age where Donald Trump is the president and giving all sorts of insane, conflicting messages 
uh, while he's rising in the polls. All right, we got some updates here. Uh, right now, I'm taking a look. Uh, J.B. Pritzker's about to give his press conference. Right now, the tallest man in Springfield is giving a speech, one Will Gazzardi. <laughs> Good Lord, this guy's tall. Get him the ball. Holy cow. And shout out to the sign language guy during all these Pritzker press conferences. This guy's a hustler. My goodness. He's doing a great job. Take a lunch, sir. You're doing well. Uh, Pritzker is, uh, hasn't spoken yet. Oh, there you go, Ben. Ben's trying to look at him. I'm trying to see yeah, if I there recognize you go. the guy. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, Lori Lightfoot. We have details on Lori Lightfoot on what she said here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And if you thought this lady was taking a break, oh, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> Fran Spielman. Yeah. Hustler Fran. All right. She writes here, Mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Wednesday made an, an extraordinary threat to shut down Chicago parks and the entire lakefront if residents and visitors continue to thumb their noses at Governor J.B. Pritzker's stay-at-home aimed at slowing the spread of the coronavirus, uh, the stay-at-home order. Lightfoot instructed Chicago police officers to shut down large gatherings and threatened uh, to use what she called, quote, every lever at my disposal to compel compliance. She was moved to action by the large gatherings that she saw along the lakefront, the crowds at Chicago playgrounds, and basketball courts and the warm weather luring stir-crazy Chicagoans outside even though they're supposed to be staying at home. Uh, wait, uh, Here's the quote from Lightfoot. Quote, way too many people gathering like it's just another day. This is not just another day and no day will be just another day until we are on the other side of this virus, which is weeks away, the mayor said. Uh, she continued by saying, I understand people are frustrated at being stuck in their homes and anxious to get outside and move around and you can do that, but you must do it in a way that is smart, that is maintaining social distance and not congregating in other locations with lots of other people. That's where the danger lies. Lightfoot said she not only has directed Chicago police officers to shut down large gatherings, but also is prepared to go even further. She quotes, or she continues in saying, quote, if we have to, because you are not educating yourselves into compliance, and if you're not abiding by these very clear but necessary stay-at-home orders, we will be forced to shut down parks in the entire lakefront. Let me be clear, Lightfoot says, that's the last thing any of us want, and that's the last thing that I want to do as mayor. But make no mistake, if people don't take this in a serious way, in which they must, I'm not going to hesitate to pull every lever at my disposal to force compliance if necessary. But let's not get to that point. We don't need to. Stay at home. Only go out for the essentials. If you want to exercise, do it in a way that you're not congregating with other people. Well, listen, if it's a problem, you shut it down. I just listened to that quote. Uh, listen, it's very difficult to stay inside all day, particularly when it's really nice out. And when, again, mixed messaging, D, they tell you, go take a walk, get some exercise. It's good for your body. It'll help you stay healthy, you know. And uh, so on one hand, they're saying, Go out, get some exercise. On the other hand, they're saying, don't congregate at the parks. Uh, if it's a real problem and it's gorgeous and it's attraction, then you should shut them down. I mean, it, the messaging, listen, I don't pretend this is easy. Obviously, this is a, a hugely challenging moment. But just got finished talking to Lorraine Targos. You know, they're, they're con con continuing a construction project at the seventy-eight. How is that at the top of the priorities in the city of Chicago right now? How is that good for the people who work on that project? I, 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 
we just send out so many mixed messages so okay voluntarily stay away from the park while it's absolutely gorgeous you're like a kid looking across the street you know what i'm saying that just so tantalizing to go outside uh but you know we we don't want to close the parks because that sends a bad message but we don't want you to go into the park well maybe if if it's really dangerous maybe you should close the parks but uh, I don't know, D. The messaging you pointed this out last week, and you're absolutely correct. It's so mixed. It's so contradictory. Uh, it it varies from one leader to the next. You got Donald Trump talking about packed churches by April 12th. You have Lori Lightfoot warning us not to go into the park on this absolutely gorgeous day when everybody wants to go to the park. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I like, I appreciate the effort. You know what I mean? Like I'm glad we're doing something, right? Yeah, I yeah, because the the alternative is the spread of this disease. If we believe the doctors, if we believe the scientists, and apparently not everybody does believe them, uh, we, our president, our, like our president, Lord. who's rising in the polls, even though he doesn't believe or doesn't consistently articulate the words of warning that his own scientists are giving, uh, then we should, you know, be staying in our homes. But then again, they say, hey, get out, get some fresh air. So uh, I know this, D, since this coronavirus uh, has forced us into uh, our little attic here, and I uh, do not r- routinely go leave the house uh, to go to the Sun-Times like we, we did for o- over a year, I really appreciate taking a walk. Uh, so, God, if they started uh, banning that, I think I'd lose my freaking mind. Yeah, you know, I, I've wondered about that, though. The lakefront's always packed, and so everybody's got the right idea. They want to go out, but it turns out there's, like, millions of people that live here. So, Well, I, I talked about this already. I was there yesterday. I'm guilty of it. I was there. I was at the lakefront yesterday, although it was uh, – when I was at the uh, – I shouldn't even say what beach I was at, D. They'll probably come in and arrest me. But I was at a beach. I walked to a beach. I'm not going to say which beach. It was completely empty when I was there. So uh, like yesterday wasn't as nice as today. It was sunny, but it was cold. Today is warm. So it's probably going to be a lot of people there. But yeah, some common sense uh, on the part of people. Uh, the whole notion of social distancing and protecting one another is rooted in having some basic semblance of common sense. So again, when you walk like four abreast <laughs> right at someone, you know what I'm saying? What do you... you know, my Ken Davis moment you know what do you expect that person to do so I my case I would have to like run to the completely take do a quick left or run quick don't right. walk you run not run no walk to get away from the people coming at me so yeah there's some common sense you can employ but you know what Lori Lightfoot uh, I guess if if you feel as though that this is a uh, a crisis, I mean, who would have thought? Like you know, like going of, into being a mayor, like uh, the one of the issues you'd have to deal with is this. This is insane. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Like, I hear you. you got the teachers union strike and all that, and dealing with all. That. And then uh, about a year later, oh, uh, social distancing is going to be something you're going to have to deal with. Well, first of all, there was no need for that teacher strike. Don't even, let's re. You know what? I would like to relitigate the teacher strike because that was something that was like within the realm of. I know it wasn't as scary as we're at now, but uh, there was no reason to have that teacher. That's a whole other story, by the way. And I love pointing out. The teachers went on strike to get more nurses uh, in our public school. That was one of the the top issues that they raised. And we're saying, we don't have enough money for more nurses in our public school. And the headline, I'm looking at it, $2 trillion 
dollar deal nearing. And as Lorraine Tiger was pointed out, uh, hundreds of billions of that money will be going to uh, corporations that already got a tax break in the last uh, tax bill that uh, Donald Trump uh, passed through the Senate and the House. So I'm just pointing out, folks, uh, that these crises that we hear about from time to time, probably artificial and man-made. And yet we're supposed to believe our governor and our mayor and our president whenever they tell us, oh, this is true. This, what, now what I'm saying is really true. This is a crisis. Don't go to the park. Don't go to the beach. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been riding my bike every day, but uh, I don't go down to the lakefront. You know what I mean? For that issue, I'm like, you know what? I bet there's going to be a ton of people there. I I ride my bike more northwest. If I see a bunch of people going on my trail, <laughs> well, well, the same thing. You ride on a trail, and and it's been cool. And I and I appreciate the fact that you do it. I'm a little envious of you. Dennis gets up early in the morning, folks. Unlike me, you know, sleeping until ten, and he goes out for a bike ride. Uh, but it's as the weather gets nice, those trails that you're on will have more bicyclists on it. It'll be harder to keep the social distance that they say we yeah. need uh by and you know how bicyclists get they just whoosh, they come right in your space all the time uh and so yeah you'll probably be violating all the new the protocol that they're recommending that we follow uh when it gets really nice out so that's the reality of the situation uh it's like in some ways it's a vacation or a staycation because you're not going to work uh so it's inviting to go outside and on the other hand you're not supposed to go outside but again the messaging is so mixed d you put you pointed that out uh more than once the messaging is so mixed it's hard to take any of them serious all right everybody jb pritzker is uh giving his speech go watch that all right we're not going to play it here on the show hopefully we'll talk about it tomorrow boy that sign language guy is hustling look at that bit look at this guy going oh yeah Whoa! Do you know who? Do you know who that person no, is? That's not the same guy. There's a. Uh, I mean, there's obviously more than one sign language guys, but uh, the, there's a regular. There's a couple of, of sign language people who um, work the lakefront festivals. God, I speaking of which, the the Grant Park music festivals and the uh, Millennium Park music festivals. I wonder if those will happen. I doubt it. But uh, anyway, so it's one of my favorites is to watch them. They really go at it when uh, sometimes. With, uh, trying to interpret like a rap song is really hard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got to really move fast. Uh, but no, I was just like, oh, is it the same dude that's at Millennium Park? But no. And we'd have him on the show, but I don't know. Like, number one, I don't know if that'd be an entertaining interview, really. Actually, I've, to always, listen to. I've always wanted to have the um, uh, sign interpreter from the Millennium Park uh, festivals, music festivals on the show to interview. I've always thought... Uh, that would be interesting to, to to hear. You know what's at stake. How do you know? Like, do you, like how? Do, how? Do, I mean, I can barely even hear the words of a song that the singer's singing. How does this dude know what to do it in real time for sign language? Does he know the song already? Oh. Did they go through the lyrics? Wow. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of interesting things to ask these people. Wow. All right. Well, hey, uh, we're done. Play the radio. Oh. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Uh, there's our guy, Hundy. There's our guy. Hey, got to fall in line. Monroe told me, fall in line, support him, okay? A lot of my de centrist Democratic friends are saying, support Joe Biden no matter what. Anyway, I want to thank Monroe Anderson, Laureen Targos for coming by. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. We couldn't do it without him. Back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Take care, everybody. See you tomorrow. Hey, and remember, you can download these shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders. Give us a try on the live stream sometime, huh? It's interesting, I'll tell you that.
I don't know if this is great, but it's interesting. You can join the live stream chat as well. Hang out with Brianna. Steven's back. What's up, Steven? Michael. Jim, new to the live stream chat. Hang out with like-minded political uh, people and a few trolls. It's a good time. Oh, there's the brown line. Take care, everybody. Reassess the recommended period for keeping businesses shut and people at home. Are you at all concerned, as Trump said, that we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself? We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. No matter what. We know what has to be done. We know you have to. That's correct.